Who would you rather have lunch with? Elvis Presley or Elvis Costello? Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second to talk about status roles and money. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. When is it time to level up? When is it time to learn a new way to see the world, to connect with others, to lead, to engage in possibility? Akimbo is a B Corp, an independently owned and operated institution designed around learning, not education, not certificates, not grades, but learning together. It works if you do the work. I hope you'll check out what the people at Akimbo are up to. Visit akimbo.com go to find out about their new upcoming workshops and how it all works. Thanks. There's a lot of confusion about status roles, and they matter a lot. So I want to spend a few minutes to help us understand what exactly is going on. There are status roles everywhere we look. Consider prison for a second. Who gets deferred to? Who gets the benefit of the doubt? Who gets favors? Who do people avoid? Maybe it's the person with a connection to the warden or someone who's connected on the outside. Maybe it's the person who's always got something to trade or maybe it's someone who's just simply tough. The fact is there's a hierarchy. People accord status and some level of respect to others that are around them. In our working world, there are plenty of people who have status because of their jobs, but that status might not be reflected in how much they're paid. A college professor, for example, or a policeman, or somebody who is a scientist on the cutting edge of changing the way we deal with the universe. Nobody's really sure what Stephen Hawking's net worth was, but it doesn't matter because things like the Nobel Prize or breakthrough bestsellers change one's status in the eyes of other people. And so the status hierarchy is something that we have been shuffling around and dealing with for a really long time. In the village, it might be the faith healer or the chieftain or the person who can bring rain on command. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. Or it might be somebody who quietly around the edges supports lots and lots of other families. The number of people who come to one's funeral might be a measure of how many other people saw that person as having status. One way to think about it is who gets to eat lunch first, or at least who has the privilege of deciding who gets to eat lunch first. So if you go to the Sundance Film Festival in Utah, well, Robert Redford is accorded an enormous amount of status, partly because he started the thing, partly because he's famous, partly because he's rich, partly because he won a lot of awards, and partly because a lot of people like him. All of these things add up to a magical ball of status. Where things start to get interesting is when industrial capitalism shows up in the last couple hundred years, and more and more people decide to trade status for money or money for status. Consider the front lawn, if you have one, of your suburban house, if you have one. Why do we even have a front lawn? Does someone with a much bigger front lawn, are they seen as having more status in the community? Well, maybe we don't translate it that way in our head, 
but possibly we do. What's the purpose of a front lawn? Well, the origin of the front lawn is it has no purpose. It was a way of saying to your neighbors, I don't need to graze cattle here. I've got plenty of land out back. I'm going to take this land in the front and waste it. I'm going to waste it on purpose. Not only am I going to waste it, I'm going to waste it on something that takes a lot of effort to maintain a form of status. In the United Kingdom, which many people think of as the pinnacle of status roles, you've got things like knighthoods or the OBE or private clubs or what kind of tie are you wearing representing where did you go to school. These are all indicators of status. And some of them can be bought and some of them can't. So at that nightclub, when the person drives up in a late model Bugatti and gets out in a $3,000 suit, maybe they get right past the bouncer. Because what they have demonstrated, like the front lawn, is that they're willing to pay money for things that have low utility just to make an impression on everybody when it comes to status. I think it's easy to imagine that in many species, status goes to the creature that's the strongest. So when you see bulls locking horns or whatever bulls do with one another, well, the one that wins is the one that's the strong one. And part of what we have woven together as we have built a culture together is we have diminished the status that goes with being the strongest one. And we've replaced it with all sorts of other battles, all sorts of other ways to indicate status to others. What happens if you're not aware of the status somebody else thinks they have? Well, there's a conflict because in that moment, status belongs to the person who is seen as having status. And if someone else thinks they have status, but they're not seen that way, stress results. There's an old joke. Somebody goes up to the airport ticket counter and the gate agent says, I'm sorry, your ticket's not valid. And the person says, that's absurd. Don't you know who I am? And then the gate agent, without missing a beat, picks up the microphone and says to the people in the room, uh, if anyone can help, there's someone with amnesia at the front desk. He doesn't know who he is. There's a mismatch there when it comes to status. One of the things that's going on in our culture right this minute is a reshuffling of the status hierarchy that the benefit of the doubt has too long been accorded to people based on mythical things like what race we've decided they are, whether they belong around here or not, whether they look like us or not. And a whole bunch of people are saying, that makes no sense. And so part of the stress that's going on in our world right now, as we reorient the status hierarchy, we reshuffle the stack, that some people who have come to believe through an accident of history that they are accorded a certain amount of status, are discovering that that's not a given. Other people who, through an accident of history, have discovered that they were deprived of a level of status are starting to say, wait a minute, we can connect with one another right now. There are new channels for us to speak up. We can form our own version of Sundance. We're not going to look at somebody's bank balance and thus decide whether that person is a good person or not on that sole criteria. And as status hierarchies get shifted around, it starts 
to leave stretch marks on the culture. So yes, that is absolutely going on all around us. And we need to take a deep breath and say, wait a second, do we really want to assume that people who made a lot of money doing one thing are really smart at doing something else? Do we want to assume that somebody who matches the current cultural definition of beauty is also somebody we want to accord the benefit of the doubt in other areas? Does it make sense to ask someone who won the bowling league or won the lottery or is in the hedge fund business how to deal with your back pain or whether or not your cancer diagnosis is correct? And as Professor Tressy Cotton has pointed out, blondness is an odd recessive gene, and yet we accord it all sorts of status, and people tie themselves into knots to dye their hair because somehow the color of the hair coming out of their head says something about their worth as a human being, their insight, their ability to make a difference. How are we deciding to judge people? Who gets the benefit of the doubt? What is the narrative we are bringing to the table when we decide what somebody else's status is. Because as we saw, it's up to us to decide. If we decide that the size of your front lawn isn't a mark of status, then you having a big front lawn isn't going to help you anymore. And now, as we start to wrestle with the side effects of industrial capitalism, including things like carbon, somebody showing up on a private jet, whether they're a rock star or the CEO of a company, What does that mean? Does it give them status or does it take status away? Do we, as we walk through our day, accord status to people who always seem super busy and stressed just to make the last minute deadline? Or is it a higher status thing to be organized and to never have a crisis around a deadline? What are the measures and the metrics of participation that helps us see that somebody is a contribution versus seeing that somebody is just a tax on the system. And mixed into all of this is the idea of celebrity, the very modern idea of celebrity. There were very few celebrities 200, 300 years ago. Now we mint them like Bitcoin. Every day, new celebrities showing up. If you have 10,000 followers in the woodworking community, you're a woodworking celebrity. I mean, before Bob Vila, were there any home improvement celebrities? I'm not sure. And so, As each category starts to create new celebrities, and then there become celebrities among celebrities, and then become celebrity organizers, and there become momentary celebrities versus long-term celebrities, the question is, what do we do about that? What does that person do about that? If they've faded in celebrity because they were a meme 20 years ago, what is it like to live their life now? Because there's, again, a mismatch of their perceived status or how the world sees them when they have status. So no easy answers here. But one of the questions we ask is, as a culture, what are we going to do to create roles where we need good people to show up and work hard, where the compensation isn't just money, that the compensation is a kind of status and respect? Because when we think about the world we'd like to live in, that sort of rhymes with it that we've got people who decided to be a nurse or even an undertaker simply because doing good work was the point, not because it was the shortcut to making a lot of money. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, 
indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, Seth. It's Maria. Hey, Seth. My name's Kyle. Greetings, Seth. This is Stephen out in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Seth. Alicia from Charleston here. Hi, Seth. This is Anupam. Hi, this is Caitlin. Hi, Seth. Warm greetings from Curacao. Hey, Seth. My name is Nick Ryan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Seth. This is Rex. Hey, Seth. Hi, this is Vasilis from Greece. Hi, this is Roberta Perry. My question is... And that completes my question. As you know, I do love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any other episode, I hope you'll visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. Three good questions this week. Here we go. Hey, Seth. Brendan from Oregon here. Of late, I've been fascinated and also deeply frustrated with status and status roles, as you have so eloquently written and spoken about. I recently went back to episode two of Akimbo on status roles. And then, of course, there are many riffs in This Is Marketing regarding the topic. I've hosted an interview podcast for nine years, and I see that status ballet in action nearly every week. High-profile guests rarely engage in the sharing of an episode, whereas lower-profile authors are more than happy to engage. The high-profile author likely thinks that her status will go down if she engages or she doesn't want to use her status to help level me up, or she thinks I'm unfairly leveraging her audience to grow mine. Nearly all high-profile authors don't share in the conversations. Smaller authors, mid-list authors, their status is increased by being on the show. So, I, And I also I see high-profile authors who come on my show and don't promote or engage, and yet I see them share the link to their interview with fill-in-the-blank high-profile podcast or radio show. It becomes very apparent at that point that sharing that link adds status and prestige for them, so it's conscious. For people in a status deficit, how do we navigate the status role ballet so that people with higher status will acquiesce some of their status to level up the entire enterprise? And as you say, turn that ratchet. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Brendan. Once you begin to see status roles, they're really hard to unsee. And like the weather, status roles are neither right nor wrong. They are simply present. If we don't like the effects of how status roles are changing our culture and our society, we should do something about that. But first, we need to see it. In your case, you are coming face to face with something inherent in the human condition, which is that we are willing to expend effort to get something that we want and less likely to expend effort if it's something we don't want or if we believe it won't give us a return on the effort expended. What's fascinating is every once in a while, something comes along that turns it on its head and jumpstarts it. So I think it's interesting, for example, to consider the case of TED. TED was a sleepy little conference with 300 people coming every year to Monterey, California. And when Chris Anderson took it over, one of the things that he did was he started to take archival presentations and put them online at TED.org. And what happened really quickly was this. Everyone's status went up if they talked about their video being on TED. And if people watched the video, their status went up even more. People who wanted to have a video on TED.org needed to go to TED to give a talk. So the demand skyrocketed 
eventually leading to more than seven times as many people coming at one time. All because status roles can be seen. So you're right. The game of podcast guests is pretty simple. It's hard for people with a podcast to get their arms around, but it's pretty simple. And it works like this. You make a list of 10 people. The 10th person is your dream guest. And the first person is your sister or your next door neighbor. And the question is, who do you need to have at any given rung for the person on the next rung to view appearing on your podcast as a way of increasing their status, which can be measured in countless ways. But you don't get to leap a rung step by step. Mark Marin did not start with Barack Obama as a guest. Thanks for this. Hi, Seth. Alex Garner in Melbourne, Australia here. And I think I have a rant I'd like you to do, if you would indulge me. A rant that I'm really looking forward to hearing. There's a phrase that drives me nuts in the workplace, usually used as an excuse not to do something. It is, I haven't had the training. Now, that doesn't sit right with me, and I need a good response to that, which I don't feel I have yet. In my mind, training, in the most basic sense, is a thing you do yourself. You put on the running shoes and you drag yourself out of bed at five in the morning and put five kilometers under your belt. That's training. What annoys me about that phrase, in the new kind of technical work environments I've been in most of my life, is that training, or certification, in a new technology is almost always best done by going out and learning about the new technology or framework or product on your own. Like going for a run, you take the initiative, or as I like to say, you pull it towards yourself. The phrase, I haven't had the training, shows that until things are pushed towards you, you are going to take a back seat. And in my experience, that attitude rarely produces the best outcome. So my question is really about the terminology of loaded words like training. Is training really the right word here? Is now a good time for you to give us the definitive Seth education glossary? Words like training, certification, education, learning, good college, famous college. These are all words with lots of baggage that could use some better definitions. There's a lot to unpack here, but I'd love to know what your response to I haven't had the training would be. Thanks, Alex. As you know, I love the semantics of all of this. I haven't had the training. The key word there is the with a capital T. I haven't had the training. And what that means is I haven't been authorized to work on this project. It doesn't mean I don't know how. It doesn't mean I don't want to learn. It means I've been indoctrinated since I was a little kid to be a cog in the industrial system. And the industrial system has not given me its blessing. So decoding this is really important. If you find someone who is enrolled in the journey of personal growth, who is committed to the organization and themselves growing, then the training isn't nearly as important as, would you like to learn how to do this in a low-risk way? Because that person, eager for new skills, was likely to say yes. The person who's not enrolled in that journey, who views work as something to do less of, who doesn't want to take perceived risk, it doesn't matter what you say to them because they haven't had the training. And so I guess the best way to subvert the system is to earn enough authority with those people to insist that they get the training because training is a permission slip. Hey, Seth, it's Andrew from Hayes, Kansas. And I had a question about the Infinite Game podcast. If we observe the game and we don't like the rules of the game, what do you think about playing their game but by your own rules? Is that what you're suggesting when you brought up your Twitter example? Just curious. Thank you. 
Thanks, Andrew. The Infinite Games episode was one of my favorites, and games are very particular. Games have players, games have rules, and often games have outcomes. And what that means is you can launch a game, a game of any kind. You can announce what the rules are. And if people don't like your game and they don't like your rules, they won't come. If people like your game but want to change the rules and there's a way for them to do that, well, they might just do so. And so we have the whole idea, for example, of tailgating outside of a football game or some other sporting event. The vendors inside the stadium can't possibly be happy that the people who walk into the stadium are already full and slightly inebriated, therefore with no need to buy the overpriced snacks inside the venue. But there was no rule against tailgating in the parking lots. Tailgating became its own game, and it's a game that undermined the first game. Well, the same thing is true, for example, in the way some people use Twitter. So you can change the rules if there's a loophole big enough for you to get what you need and still be on the game board where you want to be. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you all next time. I just don't think it's possible or probable in, in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere, you know? And none of us can do that better than the internet, right? Um, there is no great thought leader who can outthink the internet. Like we have data. What all MBA gets right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says, yeah, 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 that's good. You got access to ideas, you got access to information, that's awesome, but when are you gonna show up? When are you gonna face that blank page? When are you gonna face the possibilities within you? When are you gonna face those fears? I'm not gonna let you hide. You gotta show up. And that's the hardest part. And it sounds simple, it sounds very commonsensical, but it's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me. Not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can show up. Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.